Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, welcome back in to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm your host. I'm joined again tonight by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are we doing? Pretty, pretty good. Good. David Lester. Better than the Royals. Better than, that's not hard, so that's not saying a lot, but we will absolutely take it. Uh, we're joined tonight as well by David Lesky. Uh, he's agreed to come on and talk to us a little bit about, um, well, we're going to talk about the starting rotation. We're going to talk about the infield and the outfields. So we're going to try to hit an entire lineup's worth of players in about 45 minutes. Uh, David, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing good, thanks. Um, started back at work this week at the high school, so um new school year is about to get in session so just kind of mentally preparing myself for that but not there's a there's a lot of good minor league baseball take your mind off things but like like Jeremy alluded to the big league club has been been pretty bad and so that's kind of where we've you know left our you know the podcast for as in terms of a theme the last few weeks is you know eyes on 2022 and I think the biggest the biggest question and also the biggest Reason for optimism lately, as it relates to 2022, is with the starting rotation. Um, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this really quick. I have three locks for the starting rotation next year and three locks only. Uh, Daniel Lynch, 2.35 ERA his last five starts. I think he's done plenty to be on the opening day roster in the rotation. No ifs, ands, or buts. Brad Keller, I don't know that he's – earned it per se this year, but I think his years prior, he has earned another opportunity. I think the Royals are going to give him an opportunity. I don't really see a situation that Brad Keller is not in the rotation opening day, 2022 Uh, Brady Singer, the same way. I don't think Brady Singer has earned it this year, but Brady Singer last year as a rookie was more than serviceable, more than fine as a starting pitcher. And even this year, his FIP is even better this year than it was last year. I don't like to say that, you know, end-all, be-all, luck is a factor. I do think he's been a little unlucky. I also think he's been situationally bad where if he's just a little bit better with guys on base, you could see a little bit of a drastic improvement in Brady Singer. So those are my three locks. I don't have anybody else that I have locked into this rotation next year. David, we'll start with you. Are you agree with, agreeing with me that those three guys are locks for the rotation? And do you think there's anybody else who could be? Um, so I think Lynch is. Well, as of right now, if, if anything, you know, if he, if he torpedoes the last month and a half of the season, sure, things could change. But as of right now, yeah, I think Lynch is. I think Keller is for every reason you said. I think that he is – his track record puts him there. Um, I'm not as sold on Singer, and that might just be me personally because I am – I think I'm getting a reputation as the guy who will talk talk about Stinger on the radio now. 
<laughs> because everybody's like, hey, you want to come on and talk about Singer? Yeah, no, not really, but sure, I will. Um, but, you know, I, the Royals don't seem to hold him to the same standards they hold other players, and which makes me believe that you're probably right that he's a lock. Um, so maybe it's just me thinking he shouldn't be a lock, but um, I, I really think it's, it's those, it's the, the first two. And, and I think Mike Miner is, if he's on the team, I don't think he's in the bullpen to start the season. I think maybe by June, July, um, but I think to start the year, he might, he might be the opening day starter, which is going to make a lot of people gag, but that's just the way the Royals operate. And so I, I, I think, I think he's as close to a lock as you can be for somebody who you're not sure if he's going to be on the team. My only thing with Miner is this, is I think there's a chance that the three locks that we, you know, kind of think that could be in the rotation, on opening day, they typically only roll with four starters. I think the chances are better that one of Coar, Hernandez, and Bubich beats them out early on. I think they move him to the bullpen to start the season, and I don't think he leaves. So, well, that's kind of, so I, I don't, kind of where I'm at with minor. Just, just to jump in, I, I don't think they have the option to go four starters based on the schedule. Um, they might for like a week, but they, they only have this year or next year, they only have two off days in the first nine games of the season instead of eight like they did this year. So I, I don't know that they'll have that option. So that, that makes me a little bit more likely that I think minor's there too. But that, that's a fair point. That could be as well. Jeremy, what do you think about the three potential locks of the rotation? You have Mike Miner in there. And do you think a guy like Carlos Hernandez has earned the the respect to be considered a lock as of this moment? So the logic you guys have presented seems pretty reasonable to me. Brad Keller going to be in the rotation because he is in the rotation. Daniel Lynch has earned it. Uh, Singer, Miner, I, I agree with David about Miner that the I think the Royals stick him in the rotation at least to start the year. I'm not convinced he'll finish the year there um, like he is this year. I think next year they're going to be more likely to move him out. But part of that is because, holy crap, they'll have so many starters next year. Carlos Hernandez, whether he's in the starting rotation or not to start the year next year, has earned an opportunity to compete for it. Um, Chris Bubich has been inconsistent, yes but has shown enough flashes that he's going to be in position to compete for it. I can't see Jackson Kowar opening the year in the minor leagues that he he's, he's got to be ready to go now. And so he's got to be competing for a rotation spot and, you know, maybe he goes in the bullpen, but some, I mean, somebody has got to go in the bullpen. You can't have 10 starters. Um, And then guys will get chances throughout the year to take over as, as people get hurt. Um, unless the Royals have another 2014, 2015, where their starters almost never get hurt. So, so there's, there's, it, it almost doesn't matter to me what the opening day starting rotation is. Cause all of these guys are going to get chances to start throughout the year. Um, even if minor doesn't start in the rotation, he's going to get there at some point, just probably due to injuries or ineffectiveness. Um, just asking for, he might have like that Chris young role, from 2015 where he starts in long relief and then they say oh man we really need a veteran guy to just step in here and be a swing starter and let him do that so they've got a lot of options just in a good way um this is a good problem to have is is who are your your top five starters heck if i know 
Um, so you can, you can have an actual competition and, and whoever the best five are coming out of spring training, those are the guys you can stick in there. And, and if anybody falls back, then, well, you've got somebody who can probably step in and, and help. Well, so the other thing too, to keep in mind, this year was a little bit odd because of the lack of innings in 2020. They're still probably not fully built up in 22 for a lot of the young guys. And so, whereas this year I kind of said, I don't think anybody's going to make more than 22 starts outside of guys like a Mike Miner who wasn't on the team when I said that. But next year it won't be 22, but it might be like 27, which leaves, I mean, there's going to be 40 starts to pick up along the way. So to your point, yeah, there's, there's options out there. And, and there's other guys that we're going to be looking at too. Ronald Bolaños is on the, the injured list right now, but was looking good. Uh, Asa Lacey or Asa Lacey. I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his name um, could be coming along. And I know there's a couple other guys whose names I can't think of who, who could be in position to compete for, for starting spots even early next year. Yeah. That, I do think they're going to have good options. And I think it's going to be interesting because I think the, I think the best strategy, honestly, if, if it was me going into 2022, I don't want to say that I'm admitting, you know, not, we're not going to make the playoffs early on because they won't do that. But I would roll out Coar and Lynch and Bubich and Hernandez and Singer or like an Alec Marsh, something like that instead of – or and Brad Keller. Um, instead of having Minor and, you know, these, these veterans roll out there. But I just don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to end up either – I mean, I don't know if you can trade a guy like Jackson Coar at the moment. His – you know, I think the time to do that if you were going to do something crazy was at the trade deadline. Okay, so I don't think oh, what they're going to do is run out the young guys. I think what they're going to do is wind up running out a veteran or two. I wouldn't even be surprised if they made a move to add a starter. But that's all going to be based on, hinged on the idea that they can compete. And that's, that's what kind of worries me about this year especially and heading into next year is that they're making moves based on wins – not based on future wins. And I think there's a really discern, you know, discerning element to this is if they would have made all the moves this year to win future games next year, I think you'd be in a position to add a veteran starter and then win more games next year. But you haven't done that. You haven't, you, we have no idea what Jackson Coar is going to be at the big league level because I don't know what kind of shot they were trying to give him, but it wasn't – I mean, maybe they did give him a real shot. That was horrible. But, like, the time to, to know is now. The time to see Edward Olivar, so we'll talk about later, is now. And I don't know that we have any clue. So maybe behind the curtain, they know that next year is going to be an, one last kind of regrouping, retooling year. And they're just going to, you know, lie to the media and say, hey, we're going to try to win just to appease the fan base. But this, this year heading into next year would be a great time to give the young starters as many starts as their workload can handle. I just don't know that we're going to see it. And, and you guys mentioned Mike Miner and, and, and made a great point about him starting. I just think it's a great time to see the young guys. And, and even as bad as Brady Singer is struggling, I'm glad they've left him in the rotation because Dave, you're right. He seems to be the only guy with a long leash. It seems like every other guy who's struggled has been put on some kind of limit, sent down, whatever it's been. Um, I just wish they would give more guys a leash like they've given Brady Singer. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that Singer's, you know, I, I see, I'm, I kind of said it as a bad thing, but at the same time, you know, you got to find out what these guys are. You got to find out who, who they can be. You know, it's just, but 
Stinger bothers me. Individual, you know, and me personally, he bothers me. So that <laughs> that's just that's just me. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't. I think in theory it makes sense to be realistic and say that 22 is the final evaluation year. I don't think the real world will allow that to happen. Um, I've said this a handful of times. I don't think Dayton is on a very long leash, and because of that. They are going to be able, from from the front office and management perspective, to evaluate in 22. They need to win. They they need to at least put butts be be be, be good enough to put butts in seats. And that's that's where I think a lot of the frustration is coming right now. I mean, the attendance. What was it? Tuesday night was under 10,000. The entire week, it was Yankees fans and Cardinals fans just inundating Kauffman Stadium. That was noticed. And the reason that they're doing that is because the product on the field is so poor that people don't want to spend the money. And I, I don't think they're going to have the opportunity to use 22 as the way it should be based on the rebuild. I think it will take, I, I think they're going to need to actually have some performance. And so I think they're probably going to do that to the detriment of the season and, and, and the future of the organization. The part of the problem with this is if you look at the infield, the guys that, and and really the outfield too. I know we. I want to talk about both position groups sort of separately, but we can kind of lump together a few guys at the moment with Whit Merrifield and Ryan O'Hearn and Hunter Dozier and Michael A. Taylor and Gerard Dyson who's starting tonight, getting time right now. It kind of paints a really muddy picture as to what next year is going to look like. If you go from left to right on the infield, in in terms of options moving that direction, you have Emmanuel Rivera. Hunter Dozier, Bobby Witt Jr., Adalberto Mondesi, Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, Nick Prado, Carlos Santana, and Ryan O'Hearn, who all either A, deserve a look of some sort, or B, are getting an endless leash of some sort. Now, I actually think what's going on with Ryan O'Hearn this year is giving him enough rope to hang himself. I think he has, and I think what we've seen really is this is your last chance. We have given you every opportunity to succeed. It just hasn't been there. And at this point, if we cut you, this isn't this isn't a reflection of the Royals. If you go have success somewhere else, good luck to you. I really don't think Ryan O'Hearn factors into this. But going from third base to second base, you really have five to six options. And even if Dozier and Witt move to the outfield, all you've done is block an opportunity for a guy like Darren Blanco to get time in center field or Kyle Isbell to get time in right field. I don't know what the answer for Hunter. Let's, let's start with Hunter Dozier. I don't know what the answer for him is right now, but he's playing so poorly and, and of late he's been better, but overall he's been so bad that you can't almost just play him every day because of the contract anymore. Like he's almost played his way into a bench bat in my opinion, despite the contract. So Jeremy, if you, if you're making your lineup on the infield for opening day next year, what does it look like? Because somebody who probably shouldn't or probably won't be riding the bench logically ought to be on the bench. On the infield, um, and actually all across the team, and again, this is this is the same thing I, I kind of said about the rotation. I think the Royals have a good problem of too many guys that that make some sort of sense. Um, and, and you can say, you know, Hunter Dozier has been really bad overall this year, but 
there's, you know, he had that injury where he altered his swing and I blame that on the coaching staff more than I blame it on him because that's the sort of thing the coaching staff should have identified fairly quickly and been, and either said, Hunter, you got to sit out till you're healthy or helped him fix it or something. They, and they, they either didn't notice it or didn't do anything about it and let it continue. Um, so I, if, if they put Hunter Dozier in the lineup next year at the beginning of the year and he's healthy, then I don't think that's necessarily like a boneheaded decision. Um, Bobby Witt Jr. seems likely to be ready. If Bobby Witt Jr. is ready, Bobby Witt Jr. needs to play. He is the most interesting player the Royals have. He is their best chance at having a star. You don't keep him in the minor leagues if he's ready to play because Hunter Dozier's here or Emmanuel Rivera's here. I, I think Emmanuel Rivera is looking at being in AAA as, as infield depth next year. Um, I think Nicky Lopez is probably your starting second baseman at the beginning of the year. I think Adalberto Mondesi, if he's healthy, is your starting shortstop at the beginning of the year, which pe- means Witt's going to play at third. And then you have your question at first base. And so this is where I think things could be a little bit interesting because I think this might be an opportunity for the Royals to trade um, Carlos Santana or Ryan O'Hearn this offseason uh, to somebody who wants to, to take a shot on one of those guys. And um, Ryan O'Hearn, uh, you talked about you think he's he's played himself out of a played himself out of a job. He's had enough rope to hang himself with. But I was actually I'm preparing something that I'm going to put up right up this weekend about him where it looks like he's actually completely changed his approach at the plate. Um, which is very interesting to me. It hasn't been always as effective as he probably would hope it would be, but there's been some interesting results from it that um, I think either the Royals could look at next year and say, well, this guy's got to be on our team, or they could say, or they could get some other team to look at him and go, oh, well, maybe, uh, you know, if we put him in one of our stadiums, that's a little bit smaller, you know, maybe he plays really well at uh, Yankee Stadium. Uh, or, or somebody that needs a first baseman in a smaller park that could maybe trade him. Um, so I, I don't think Ryan O'Hearn gets cut, but um, I definitely think he or Santana is going to have to get traded because again, you've got Car- you've got Hunter Dozier is going to need somewhere to play probably, and Nick Prado is also like you said not far away. So I think that's probably how you solve that problem. At least part of that problem on the infield is trading one of those two guys. I don't think you can trade Dozier or prado for anything what you would want to get for them right now so that's the direction i'd lean david yeah i mean i i think that makes a lot of sense it, i'm not i'm not as convinced that they won't just cut O'Hearn. i mean i am in some ways because um i believe he and he is mike Matheny's long lost son um as far as as far as I'm, if i'm to understand that correctly um but I, yeah, I mean, you look around the infield. What, what are your options? And, and I, 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 every time I do this, I go, okay, I think I've got it figured out. And then I go, well, wait, what about this player? And that, and that works with the outfield too. And so, yeah, I mean, the really easy solution is Bobby Witt Jr. at third, Montesi at shortstop, Lopez at second, somebody at first. Doesn't really matter. I mean, Prado may not be quite ready to go. And so, you know, you want to say, give him six weeks in AAA, four weeks in AAA, that's fine. Santana plays first, I don't care, whatever. But then you start to think, okay, well, then where does Whit Merrifield play? Right field. 
okay, then where's Hunter Dozier play? I guess DH maybe, but again, he hasn't hit well enough to be DH. <laughs> and, so, and there's Ben and Penny, and there's Oliveras, and there's Isbell, and it's just, and it's, it's hard to, it's hard to differentiate infield from outfield with this team because they have so many guys who can do both, and you might need to add Mondesi into that. I, I, I mean, there's, I don't know if they're gonna, they're gonna try him in center field. I think if they do, it'll be with an off season, not just like Tatis and throw him out there, but. I, mean, I, I think they could try it. It's certainly possible. And then you play with it shortstop. And then, well, who's the third baseman? Is it Rivera? Is it Dozier? They don't like Dozier. It's, like, <laughs> just, it's this whole thing. And it, it, there's never, you can't find the right answer because there's always like one too many, but it's not, it's a good problem in a way, but it's also not like one too many great players. <laughs> Because there's always one player that you're looking at that you're like, why is he in the lineup? And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it is good in the fact that they clearly have depth. They clearly have, they have three guys who can play shortstop. They've got, I think, 51 guys who can play third. They've got a handful, you know, they, they have all these, they have options, which is a really good thing. And these things tend to work themselves out, but it's hard to see how this is going to work. And, and I think, the one thing I keep coming back to with Bobby Witt is he's played third like 10 times in the minors. It might be 11. I can't remember. But but at the same time, every time Mondesi's on the same team as him, Mondesi's at short and Witt's at third. But is that because they're not going to move his position in season? I don't know. So I, it's just a, it's a really difficult puzzle to put together because it's like they have, it's like they have five corner pieces. And you don't know where to put that final corner piece. You think, well, maybe I can fit it. Maybe I can fit it in the middle here and it'll just jam in. But then it moves another piece out. And so it just, it's a really confusing exercise to try to figure out where everybody goes. Well, and the, and the biggest issue with it for me is if you just said at the end of 2021, moving forward, 2022 and on for the rest of their careers. And I've always kind of maintained that the window really opens in 2023. Like I do think, I personally tend to think Dayton's leash is a little bit longer than some. Whether or not you think it's short or long, I don't think he gets – unless 2022 is an unmitigated disaster. If the team's relatively competitive, I think he goes into 2023 with a job. So, for me, the window opens in 2023, and it better. Like, it doesn't just realistically open. It better open in 2023, or you're right, somebody's going to lose their job. In 2023 and for the rest of their careers, if you offered me Whit Merrifield – Hunter Dozier, Ryan O'Hearn, Edward Olivares, Andrew Benintendi, literally all of those, Emmanuel Rivera, all these kind of fringe options, maybe not Nicky Lopez, maybe not Bobby Witt Jr., but for the rest of those guys, I'm taking Kyle Isbell over all of them. Now, maybe I'm wrong in my evaluation of Isbell, but I think he's a gold glove caliber defender in the corners. I think he could play center field if you go to New York. I think you could play center field when you're playing in Chicago. I think he could play center field when you take a trip to like LA. There's going to be some stadiums. I don't think he can handle it every day. Like definitely not Kaufman, definitely not Detroit. There are some stadiums. I think he could handle center field. And I really think his bat is better than people understand and people give credit for because he did get off to a really slow start at AAA this year. Kyle Isbell in his last 200 ish plate appearances has a strikeout to walk ratio of almost one, an ISO up around 175, a weighted runs created plus around 135, an on base over 400. He's a really, really valuable player. I think you're getting like prime 
Whit Merrifield for the next three, four seasons, five seasons out of Kyle Isbell. I'm taking him, and it just doesn't look like there's going to be a spot for him. So if you're the Royals, you've either got to A, I mean, and by the way, we don't, we're not under the impression the Royals don't like him. They put him on the opening day roster kind of unnecessarily, like kind of looking back on it way too, they rushed him. They clearly like him. For me, he has to be your opening day right fielder next year. Unless you move Ben Benintendi and the plan is to move Kyle Isbell over to left. But at this point, if you move Ben Benintendi, we were talking about this off the air right before we started recording. Andrew Benintendi has been 10% worse than league average on offense. He is horrible in left field. He's been worth exactly 0.0 F4 91 games. Andrew Benintendi is not good. He is He's probably better than zero. Like, I think he's very much league average. Like, he's a very replaceable league average player. I'm taking Kyle Isbell. So, unless they move him and unless they declare that right field is Kyle Isbell's, I don't know where you put Wit. I don't know where you put Dozier because if you do anything other than let Kyle Isbell have right field on opening day, we've seen that there's nothing really left for him in AAA unless they're just working on like swing stuff you're doing a disservice to the future of the franchise, but the more and more you look at it, it looks more and more like one of Whit Merrifield or Hunter Dozier or God forbid, like a Ryan O'Hearn. We're going to see somebody in right field. And by the way, this doesn't even begin to, to mention what they've done to Edward Olivares this season. So I, I, Dave, I want to get your thoughts on Isbell and Olivares because these two guys to me have deserved some kind of a look. I just don't know where it comes from unless you think you're going to move on from someone or put somebody on the bench. Yeah. I mean, the thing about, I mean, going with, to talk about Dozier, um, it was unnecessary to give him the extension they gave him. Absolutely. But that said, it's pretty cheap. I mean, it really isn't very much money. And he's being paid at least for the first two years, this year and next year, like a bench bat. Truly. Um, now, it's also what he would be paid in arbitration, roughly. And so he, it's not exactly a one-to-one comparison. But he's not being paid so much that you can't put him on the bench. And let's be honest. You've got – I thought all along with the Dozier deal, this was before Mondesi played 10 games this year, was Mondesi's going to be the shortstop. Witt's going to be the third baseman. When Mondesi gets hurt, not if, when Mondesi gets hurt, Witt slides over. They've got Dozier to play third base. Dozier plays third base 50 games a year. Dozier DHs 50 games a year. He plays 120 games, you know, all that. By the way, Dozier's not the picture of health either. This is, so far, the first year, I don't think he's seen the injured list. Um, and he's seen it twice he this year. Oh, duh. I'm <laughs> of course he has. He, he only saw it once, but he, uh, he, was, he missed some time with the thumb. Um, I forgot about the well, he ran, he ran uh, into a brave. Yeah. I forgot about that, that whole uh, that wrestling match he, he had. Um, but yeah, anyway, he's not the picture of health. That's the obvious point. And so I think it's okay if he's on the bench. I don't know if the Royals feel that way, but I, I think it makes sense for him to be a super sub. Um, and so with, with Isbell and uh, Oliveris, you're right. You do have this situation. But what I think is interesting, you know, I don't think Isbell or Oliveris is a full-time center fielder in Coffin State. I don't think they can handle it, but I wonder a little bit. They're both really athletic. If you've got them in center and right or center and left, does that take some of the stress off it? Can he do it because he's got an athletic guy? I don't think you can have one of them in center. If you've got Dozier or Merrifield in right. 
But I do think you could have one of them in center if you, and Benintendi has been terrible defensively, but I think he's better than this. And, and he's quick enough that I think you can probably get by with that. Now, I say that, and I know there's sprint speed. Merrifield is way faster. Dozier is way faster, all that. But I think, I think Benintendi does a better job of covering ground because he's more of a natural outfielder. Um, so I think it's certainly possible. But then here's the problem. Michael A. Taylor has been incredible value, truly incredible value as a free agent. The mistake was not moving him. That's done, whatever. Why is he playing? Find out. At least find out if Oliveros can play center field or Isbell. Or, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think it's funny because I love Edward Oliveros. I had a scout tell me in May, maybe June, I don't know. It was early in, early in the AAA season that they see a difference in him like they saw in Teoscar Hernandez a few years ago. Now, Oscar Hernandez is a legitimate all-star now. So it's one scout, you know, he saw him for three days. A lot of things can happen. But I do think it's funny because Oliver is probably a fourth outfielder. But the problem is we don't know. They're not giving us a chance. And they're not giving themselves a chance to find it. It doesn't matter if we find out. It doesn't, they're not giving themselves a chance to find that out. So that, that's what's bothering me a little bit. But you're right. They're, I don't, this goes back to the puzzle. I don't know how it all fits unless they make some moves. Now, that said, and we haven't even mentioned, by the way, that MJ Melendez has been talked about about getting some time in other positions. Left field, third base, first base probably. You're running into a big log jam, which is a good problem to have, yes. But the question now becomes, where's the trade or trade? I, I think Dayton Moore sees this team as the same, in the same spot generally as the 2012 team. And what did he do for the 2012 season? He made a massive trade. Worked out great. Yes, absolutely. I hope it does again because I think he's going to do it again. And I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Melendez and Coar. Is it going to be Melendez and probably Lynch has probably pitched too well in the big leagues to be part of that. But he was a possibility before. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be, but you got to move somebody. It, actually, you've got to move somebody. There are too many pieces here. And it's not so much that there's the rule five issue with the 40 man. I mean, I went over that on inside the crown last week. There's, there's spots. That's fine. But there's only so many places for players to play. And I, I would, I, you know, I, Melendez, I think has a real chance to get moved. And I think that might be a mistake. I think he might be the one. I mean, I think Prado might be the one to move potentially. You're talking about a guy who is still striking out at a high rate. He, yes. He has a great eye. He walks a lot. Part of the reason he strikes out is because he gets deep into counts, all that. I wonder a little bit if you want to say, hey, look, let's see what MJ Melendez can do at first base. Calvi's not going to be able to catch 150 games a year. Okay, theoretically. Uh, he's going to try. But maybe Prado's the guy to move. Maybe he is the guy. Maybe I'm way off here and they are they're, they're priming this. That's why Prado hasn't come up yet. And, and he's been in AAA long enough that he could have come up. He's got to be added to the 40-man any, anyway after the season. So, But I, I think there's a trade coming because we keep talking about this. There's, there's, there's just no way to fit it all together. It doesn't make sense. If one, it, as you, as you piece it together, there's just, like I keep saying, one of the pieces just keeps getting moved out and you go, well, we got to find a place for it. And you can't. Yeah. If you've got five quarter pieces, it makes sense to trade one of the corner pieces for somebody else's middle piece. Yep. Specifically a centerpiece. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah specifically. And so, and so that's the thing is, but yeah, go ahead. I was just say, I've, I've mentioned over the past month two trade possibilities, and I can't mention any more because one of them was Ramon Laureano, and now he's suspended. 
And one of them was Chris Bassett. He almost died yesterday. So, or whatever day it was. So I, I'm not going to mention any more pieces because I think I'm <laughs> cursing all of them. But I mean, I think they're going to go after a veteran starter and I think they're going to go after a center field. I don't know if it's going to be, not going to be Laureano anymore. Uh, it still could be Bassett. He seems like he's doing okay. But um, yeah, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to put that on them. But they, the one spot they don't have is center field and they have a lot of pieces that could maybe fill that with, like you say, the center piece. Well, and, and, the, and the problem with tr- needing a center fielder is it's kind of like when they, when they traded for James Shields is it's just unfortunate that your biggest need is like maybe the most valuable thing that you could be trading for. Now, it is nice because typically the pitchers bring back a little bit of a bigger return, but right now your biggest trade chips really were, like you said, Melendez, they love Prado, the – they, they had him and Witt rooming together for a reason. I think the dynamic of that just implies that there's no way to trade Prado, but I agree with you. I was getting ready to say something about that, but I just don't think it's realistic. So you're looking at Melendez and then Coar a little bit. I think his big league debut kind of sh- – the way they kept Will Myers down, I think if they intended to trade Coar, we would have seen something similar – but then, really, the unfortunate thing with this is your next two biggest trade chips are both hurt because one is Jonathan Bolin and the other is Alec Marsh. Alec Marsh, if he would have kept pitching the way he was pitching at A early on, would have been a massive trade chip. I truly believe at that rate he was going to be a top 100 prospect this year, which give, would have given the Royals seven. The catch to this is if he goes down to the fall league and pitches well, because I'm, I'm under the impression that he's not overly – injured it's just enough he probably can't get back for the end of the regular season if he goes down to the fall league and pitches well there's a legitimate chance he could be a guy to add in in a package like a Jake Odorizzi like he's the he's the sweetener on top of whatever the bulk of the trade is but when you're trading for a center fielder like I was going through this at midseason just kind of thinking you know who who could be available you know Tampa Bay has Josh Lowe um I think that's his name center fielder AAA playing really well like really intriguing option. The angels have a couple of young center field top prospects that I would be really intrigued in. I don't know how inclined either of those two teams is going to be willing to move a center fielder. And then from there on, I just don't know where he comes in. And if you, if you think they're going to go sign Starling Marte, I'm all for it, but I don't, I mean, I don't know how realistic that is. I just don't know where it comes in. And so the unfortunate piece of this is, you may end up overpaying and you know, I think maybe the better option is to see if the Rays would be willing to like part with Kevin Kiermeyer instead. Can you get a guy like Kiermeyer who's an elite defender whose bat has gone away? You take on another Michael A. Taylor type, but with more upside. And then, you know, you just kind of keep plugging away until maybe the market settles or you find a better option. But I still agree with you that, they, there's a big trade coming. I just don't know that it's for a center fielder. And the, the irony of it is I don't know what else it could be for. I just get that sense that it's also coming. So the, the, the issue the Royals have built themselves is they're too invested in players who aren't going to help them in 2024. And the best way to win long-term is to play the young guys. But if you're right in the, in the leash on Dayton Moore is short, you're kind of pigeon like as for ownership, you either got to tell your GM he's got the longest leash in the world 
or fire him because giving a GM a short leash, all that does is, is it puts your organization in jeopardy for the long haul. I just don't know. I, I'm really afraid they're too tied down to, to the fat. And in my opinion, they'd be best off trimming the fat and, and playing the young guys. I just really worry they're going to put their eggs in the wrong basket. Now, maybe they don't. Maybe it's the end of the year. They start cutting guys, and we go, whoa, they're, they're not jacking around. Kyle Isbell's up, Nick Prado's up, Bobby Wood Jr.'s up, and they just roll the dice in 2022. Maybe that all plays itself out. I'm just not optimistic or convinced that's what we're going to see. Well, and so what I'll say is we're at the time. Dayton Moore – well, two things. One, I think Dayton Moore's character is, is such that I don't think he will do something to harm the future on purpose. First of all, <laughs> even knowing that he is on a short leash. That said, if you're an owner and you're not sure if you want to keep your general manager, that means you don't want to keep your general manager. If you don't know, that means you know. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I think moving forward, what we'll see in the next, what we'll know in the next couple of days, well, I think it's not a couple of days, maybe like a week or so, because with that character, if Dayton Moore is going to cut somebody, he's going to do it before September 1st so they can catch on with a team and be a playoff player if, if some team wants him. That's the way Dayton Moore operates. And so if that's going to happen, we're going to know in, like I said, like the next week or so, week to, week to nine days, something like that. So that's the good news is we'll have an answer pretty soon. I don't think he's going to go cutting Gerard Dyson on September 5th. You know, I don't think he's going to release Wade Davis on September 8th. He's going to do it. Give him a chance. Give him a chance to catch on and say, hey, the Reds need uh, this or that, or you know, whoever it is. A team that's maybe on the fringe, probably not there. But I, I, I think that we'll see that soon. But I think you're right. It, it, to go out there, look, I, get, I like Michael A. Taylor. And by the way, I would probably just re-sign Michael A. Taylor rather than trade for Kevin Kiermaier, in my opinion, um, just because the money just doesn't make sense to spend the money when you can get that guy for – what three million, whatever it ends up being, um, but you know, I, why are we, again? I don't, I don't need to see Michael Taylor. Honestly, I don't need to see Whit Merrifield. I, I, you know, they're not going to sit him because of the stupid consecutive game streak. It's ridiculous. Whatever. I don't need to see him out there every day. We know what he is. He's going to be on the team next year. Blah blah blah. It's fine. Whatever. But they need to be playing the young guys, and they're just not. And it's it's causing a problem. But again, we might. We might look back on this conversation in 10 days and go, oh, that was stupid. They got rid of everybody. They brought everybody up. I'm happy. So we'll see. I know you got to go here in a second, David. Um, we were floating around the Royals Farm Report group chat the other day, the idea of maybe Tampa Bay being interested in Hunter Dozier as a reclamation project. And mm -hmm. they'd be willing to swap contracts with Kiermaier. And Dozier's got a little more money. He's also got a little more offensive upside. It was, it was just kind of funny the way that, Conversation. That, that, that's actually, that would make more sense than I think just taking on Kiermaier. But yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, but I, I agree with the principle of re-signing Taylor as a de as a defensive option and just leaving him on the bench. Um, you know, yeah. to go play defense every 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 now and then. I, Jeremy and I will pick up kind of talking about how you know Whit Merrifield plays into twenty twenty two in a second. But you have any final thoughts on on Olivares or Isbell or, or any of the guys who really not even next year but could be up this year? earning a look to be on that opening day roster next year? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I want to see all of these guys in, in the big league. Um, 
I want to see Isbell again because he, he's turned things around. I want to see Oliveris more than three or four days in a row. Maybe he doesn't. We'll find out. I, I honestly, I want to see Emmanuel Rivera too. I, I, I think that he's worth a look. I don't sacrilege. I don't really care if Bobby Witt comes up this year. I mean, I would. I, I think it makes some sense to get his feet wet at the big league level because if he's going to be on the twenty-two team, and these prospects, and we've seen a lot. Guys struggle. It, it, not a lot of guys hit the ground running. It's not just Royals players. I mean, Jared Kelnick was hitting under 100 in his first, what, 23 games or something like that. It, he might struggle. It'd be good to get it out of the way in September when it doesn't matter. That, that's, that's something. But I, also, I, don't, I don't care so much. I want to see these guys who we need. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Darren Blanco up. Honestly, it's not going to happen. But I wouldn't mind seeing that just to see. I want to watch him run in center field. You know, So I, I would like to see these guys. I don't, I don't know how many of them we're going to get a chance to. It sounds like when they expand 28, it's going to be probably Sebastian Rivero and Greg Holland off the injured list. Maybe Tyler Zuber. I don't know. You know, or maybe they put maybe they bring up Dylan Coleman, who I'd love to see also. But uh, yeah, that that 28 man September. I get why, but it really hurts a team like the Royals this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to see them all, and I I feel like I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. We're going to run a little ad break right here, and we'll be right back. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, thanks to David Lesky for joining us there. He had to run. He had some family stuff to take care of. Um, Jeremy and I are really quick going to talk about Whit Merrifield's role in all this. Jeremy, Whit Merrifield, I think priority number one is for him to play second base next year. The only way, in my opinion, he's playing second base for this team on opening day is if it's because Nicky Lopez is playing short and Bobby Witt Jr. is playing third. That seems very likely. It seems very reasonable. If Adalberto Mondesi is healthy in any capacity, we know they're going to play him. So you have As they should. And they should. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That means, though, you have Bobby Witt Jr. at third, Adalberto Mondesi at short, and then you have Whit, or Nicky Lopez at second base, which pushes Whit Merrifield to the outfield. By the way, I just want to make a point of both those scenarios have Bobby Witt Jr. playing third next year, which I don't think is like out of the realm of like reasonable possibility. Um, in fact, I think it's really likely, even though I think he's a really good shortstop. I just think they don't really have another good third base option, and Nicky Lopez – might win the gold glove at shortstop this year. So you have options at shortstop, which is ironic that you don't have any at third base, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the, that's the issue that I, I agree with you. I think that keeps Bobby Witt at third is that there are other guys who can play shortstop. Nobody else can play third base, no. at least among the guys that we're talking about, you know, Hunter Dozier could go over there, but they've, they seem to have made it pretty clear that they don't want to do that. Sure. 
here's my here's where I'm at with Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield is to a point in his career, he needs to be more like a fill-in everyday player yeah. than an everyday player who gets his spot. Yeah. In my opinion, Whit Merrifield should play wherever the hole is. If the yeah. hole is in left field because Ben Incendi's on the IL, he goes out there. If the hole's in right field because Kyle Isbell's not ready, he goes out there. If the hole's at second base because Adalberto Montesi's hurt, he goes to second base. I think we're seeing the last days of Whit Merrifield playing the same spot every day because it's his spot. I think after this year, we're going to see Whit Merrifield, the rover, wherever it is on the field. Now, I also think he should be a priority. I don't think he should be batting leadoff, but if, if he's batting somewhere like one, two, six, seven, and in the lineup every single day playing whatever is the position of need at the time, I get it. But we're coming to a point on the infield. You got guys coming. He he needs to – I say he needs to like it's his choice. The organization <laughs> needs to prioritize some of these younger guys because we've seen the inevitable – decline of aging baseball players it's not anything that like i love whit merrifield and people are like oh Whit's an all-star it's like well are we really gonna you know bank on an all-star who's batting seven percent worse than league average right now i mean maybe maybe he comes back next year and he's great but if you bank on it if you invest your lineup in the return of 33 year old whit merrifield you are practicing malpractice like you cannot put your eggs in 33 year old Whit Merrifield's basket you just you can't bank on it so the problem's going to be in my opinion that they're going to give Whit a spot and punish not punish but but bench a young player because of it where in my opinion Whit should concede to some of the younger guys and play when the opportunity is available not when, where the opportunity is available, even if it is still five, six times a week. And that, that fear is justified, right? We've seen that play out time and time again. We saw that when the Royals chose to sign Lucas Duda for his veteran presence and cut Brian Goodwin. Now, Brian Goodwin did not turn into a superstar by any means, but he would have been more valuable than Lucas Duda. He would be more valuable now than Lucas Duda. He's more valuable now than any other outfielder the Royals are running out there. There you go. Um, we saw this with Alex Gordon for two years. They chose, after his contract ended, they chose to bring him back for another year and start him every day. And they they made that choice. They didn't have to. They didn't have to start him when he declined, even with the big contract. They could have benched him. They didn't. And... And I don't know if it's Dayton Moore. I don't know if it's Mike Matheny. I don't know if it's some combination of the two. Veterans play and rookies wait. And, and, and uh, heck, we're even seeing it with Ryan O'Hearn right now. I know that I am a little more bullish on Ryan O'Hearn than basically anyone else in the world. But does he really deserve to play regularly right now over Edward Olivares over Kyle Isbell over guys where we could learn something that we're, we're not really learning anything about Ryan O'Hearn. Even if he has completely changed his approach, he can do that at AAA and, and we'd get as much information. Whereas other guys, we've, we haven't seen them against big league pitching and any kind of stretch. And, 
And it's just it, 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 Michael A. Taylor. Why? Why is Michael A. Taylor playing? Why? Just just why? Why is Wade Davis still pitching? Even if he's pitching well, it doesn't matter. Tyler Zuber should be up here. Dylan Coleman. And this is the same thing that, that you and David were talking about before the break, but now it's my turn to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's mind boggling, but they do it very consistently. So yeah, absolutely. Whit Merrifield is going to be starting next year. They're going to probably give him a spot by the end of spring training, depending on everybody else's production, whether it's second base or right field. And they're going to say, that's your spot and you'll go play somewhere else sometimes because you're our super sub guy, but you're mostly going to play there and they're going to bat him lead off. And the only way that's going to change is if he completely falls off a cliff and he bats under 200. That's the only way I can see that changing. I don't want to compare what Merrifield to LCD's Escobar, because that would be disrespectful. To LCD's Escobar. Yeah. You mentioned Alex Gordon. I think the one place I differ is the Royals knew they were going to suck. They, they can act like they didn't know they were going to suck. They knew they were going to suck. They brought Alex Gordon back for one more year to, to give the fans something to watch. Okay. Like, maybe. Alcides Escobar played in 162 games in 2017. When the team had the core together, they were still all together. He had, had a 61 weighted runs created plus. If you're not big and weighted, weighted runs created plus, 61 suggests he was 39% worse than league average. He was worth 0.1 wins above replacement. I don't care if you think war and weighted runs created plus is like fairy dust, that it's fake, it's not even real. <laughs> he was objectively awful in 2017, and they played him in every single game. You could have literally – signed any bum on the street no not any bum on the street you could have signed a lot of bums on the street and found somebody who could have played shortstop for you in 2017 better than Alcides Escobar did you know what else Escobar was doing that year oh god what just keeping his his games played streak alive yeah no he was because he played um the year before that too didn't he yep 162 the year before so I don't want to compare wit to that. It's not that it's, it's not that at all yet. Anyway, not yet, but what it is, is the continual running out of a veteran player in a year where you need to be competitive. I'm not suggesting the Royals will be competitive in 2022, but they need to be competitive in 22. And what that looks like is Whit Merrifield. Yes, he can still play most days. I prefer he played like 150 over 162, whatever he can still play most games but he needs to play most games when it's not at the expense of someone who's going to help the team in 2023 and 2024 and 2025 and 2026 and it just looks more and more like that might actually be what ends up happening i do i do have to wonder also about wit uh merrifield it, it, that's going to get confusing real fast with, with the wit merrifield and the bobby wit um, it already has, but it's it's going to get worse. Um, the other thing I do wonder about him is, yeah, he's hitting 7% uh, worse than league average, you've mentioned. Would he be any better if he'd had a day or two off this summer? We've talked about Salvador Perez 
regularly crashes in the second half of the season because he doesn't get days off. Well, now Whit Merrifield isn't getting days off so that he can have, and he's got his streak and it's going to last for probably a while. It's he's not going to approach the league streak because he's not going to be anywhere near Ripken. Um, but it, it seems to me that at 32 years old, a couple days off probably wouldn't hurt him. No. And, and, and that's the thing. His power has been zapped this year. His, his ISO is 115, which is not good. So, no, again, again, another stat there. ISO is isolated slugging. So, it's basically your, it's your slugging percentage minus your, minus your batting average. So, if all you hit was ever singles, but you hit 333, your slugging would also be 333, and your ISO would be zero. Um, and I just – Say hello, Dickie Lopez. Right. I, Right. And so I, I just kind of wonder if the day off wouldn't have helped Wit. Regardless, I do want to make a point that it's like entirely possible Whit Merrifield's really good next year. I'm not suggesting that Whit Merrifield is cooked. I'm not suggesting he's definitely done. I'm just saying you can't bet on it. You can't put your job on the line. And by the way, if you're dating more and you run Wit out there every day at the expense of Kyle Isbell or any other young player, you're not just putting your job on the line. You're putting Mike Matheny's job on the line because when John Sherman comes headhunting, if everything goes poorly, I really don't think it's Dayton more. Like I know Lesky said he thinks the leash may be short. I don't know that I buy that. And I mentioned it while I was here. I just don't know that I think it's as short as he mentioned, but I do think it could be short for Matheny. I do think it could be short for Terry Bradshaw. I do think it could be short for Cal Eldred. And so if you bank on it, you better be right. And if you're not right, you're going to get somebody fired or yourself fired. Oh. Um, as far as Bradshaw and Eldred, I, I'm pretty sure their leash is done. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the only reason they're still on the team is because they're waiting for the offseason to fire them. I wouldn't doubt that. I, um, I, I, I agree with you that things haven't been as bad as like when they fired. Um, who did they fire to put George Brett in there? Oh, gosh. The Seitzer was already gone. I can't remember. It didn't matter. <laughs> no, it sure didn't. They got rid of George Brett out of there pretty quick, too. Um, really, my only point with Wit is I, I, I feel like I sound like I'm beating a dead horse. I really don't mean to imply that Wit is definitely cooked. And I'm sorry if I came off that way that Wit Merrifield is definitely you know, I'll, I'll happily imply that I think he's cooked. And, and that's okay. Think, he's not, he's that not opinion. awful this year. But he's, I, I think he's going to be worse next year. I think this well, is, as you said, the inevitable decline. Even this year. So even this year, he's been worth two and a half wins. That is that is awesome. You would take two and a half wins from anyone making a few million dollars. Um, he is great. That, he's great defensively at second base. Exactly. Like said, the, the big part of it is when you inevitably have to move him to the outfield, A, he's going to lose a lot of that value. And B, like I said, I don't want to imply that I think he's done. I think it's better i think it's more likely that next year we see this version of whit merrifield than we see 2017 whit merrifield 2018 whit merrifield but i don't think it's totally like i would bet 60 percent this year again 40 percent rebound so i do think there's a chance but you can't bank on 60 40 you can't bank on a 40 percent chance coming true that's no way to live it's no way to build a baseball team i, I think that's overly yeah. optimistic i would put it more like 80 20 too so which so let's split it and call it 70-30. You can't – if you put your eggs in 30% basket, 
you are setting yourself and the rest of the team up for failure. Yep. You've got to come up with a contingency plan that makes Whit Merrifield a rover, not an everyday player who is cemented in the one spot in the line. And that's that's the best way for Whit Merrifield to contribute to next year's team is is absolutely as a rover, as a guy who's giving other guys days off, that you're not counting on him to drive the lineup because I don't think he's going to do it anymore. I don't think, no, I don't think he's Alex Gordon at 33. I don't think he's completely done, but I don't think he's the guy who, who leads the charge anymore either. I think he's the guy that should be around to be a veteran presence because got to have veteran presence. What do you do on Christmas, Christmas without your veteran presence? Uh, but, uh, you know, and just provide uh, an opportunity for guys to take regular days off. Um, because I, I, 162 games is a lot. And I know everyone says, oh, they're playing a game, but they're working hard. Like they're working so hard. A few days off is good for these guys is good for their production. Um, just like anybody else and, and having him to offer that. And he can offer that in in a way where he can step in. Heck, I would put him at shortstop or in center field for a day. Like I, I, you don't start in there every day, obviously, but if you're like, eh, you know, my shortstop needs a day off. I don't really have anybody else. You could put Merrifield there and I don't think he's going to kill you. Um, so he, he really offers a lot of versatility in that way. This is, he can be Ben Zobrist at the end of Ben Zobrist's career. Everyone always wanted him to be Ben Zobrist. Well, now he can be uh, at the end of Zobrist's career. Um, and, and, that's how he benefits next year's team. If next year's team thinks it's going to be competitive, if it wants to try to be competitive, that's where Merrifield fits in. I I just agree with you. I I think he's I think they're going to stick him probably in right field and we're going to go, but you have so many other options that are as good or better and they're going to go, but with Merrifield. Yeah, I um Cannot wait for that discussion. Um, I get it. I admire Dayton Moore and the way he handles his players, his human beings, and his people. And it's it's really hard. It is really hard to argue with. But this feels like a like a situation where they maybe missed the boat on trading Merrifield um, at peak value a couple of years ago. So we can stop hammering on Wit. Um, I do want to mention really quick my final thought: Daniel Lynch. Uh, 2.35 ERA his last five starts is obviously very good. The teams he did it against is so much more impressive. Houston Astros, best weighted runs created plus as a team in baseball. Toronto Blue Jays, second best. Chicago White Sox, third best. New York Yankees, 11th best. And then um, the 18th best team was the the Detroit Tigers, believe it or not. 18th best weighted runs created plus for a team in all of baseball. And he went out there and shoved it up all of their butts, especially the Houston Astros and the Detroit Tigers. I loved watching him pitch against Houston last night because it seemed like in the later innings, he and Salvi caught a groove with their pitch calling and he was spinning guys into the ground. And it was so much fun to watch. Um, Really like what I've seen from Daniel Lynch. Uh, That's my final thought for the night. Um, You got any final thoughts? Am I supposed to think things? I thought I was just supposed to to say things. No, you can just say them. <laughs> uh, my final thought is 
uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say if the Royals don't make a big trade this offseason where they send one of their pitching prospects and, and either Melendez or Prado, I'm not sure which, um, and maybe a different position player, but probably one of those two. If they don't make a trade like that, I will actually be surprised. I they they it makes they as we discussed it makes too much sense realistically and it makes too much sense for for Dayton Moore's perceived position whether you think he's got a a, a string that's two years long one year long it's if and I think they they're ready to to think that they're going to compete next year and I think we've seen some of these guys come up you talked about guys don't usually come up and and succeed right away um so we've seen Daniel Lynch come up fail succeed um and I think we could see Bobby Witt Jr. we could see Nick Prado before the end of the year um uh, you know, the Dayton Moore said they're not going to be the 28-man call-ups, but there's plenty of guys in this roster that they can cut or demote and, and give those guys an opportunity. Um, and then they'll they can they can try to to do it next year and see what happens. Um I, I think they're really gonna I think this year was, you know, they signed a couple borderline guys and said if everything goes to plan, we can compete. And I think they're gonna say next year. Dayton Moore is, is whether the heat is on him or not, I think he's going to feel it. So he's, he's going to have to make a big trade to, to find uh, uh, whether it's a center fielder or a star somewhere else. Um, whether Maybe he wants to move on from Benintendi. I don't know. He's got to do something in order to, to really make it seem plausible that the Royals could compete next year so that they can get some butts in those seats. Could have said that better myself. I, I, I agree with you that they've got to shake something up, and I don't think that Bobby Wood Jr. is enough. I do think it. I do think it helps. And, and speaking from experience, we've seen it over at Royals Farm Report where every time he does something, our site goes bananas. And it, it's you can tell. Like you go back and you look at the statistics, like the analytics of our site and how it performs. The nights that Bobby Wood Jr. hits home runs, the next day just boom, 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 boom. Right, so. I do think Bobby Wood Jr. will help get the average fan there. I do think, you know, having Nick Prada with him will, will, will help. But I think you're going to have to do a lot better to convince everybody that you're serious about competing because you can't actually seriously trot this same group of guys out there next year and expect to compete. So next week we'll have more thoughts on, well, A, whatever happens this week, but B, just kind of generally – you know, how, how do things continue to take step and, and, and take shape uh, for the 2022 season? That's been the theme of our podcast so far the last few weeks. That's going to continue to be the theme of the podcast for the next few weeks because this 2021 Royals team is absolutely worthless, even though they are handing it to the Houston Astros the last few nights. So um, we'll be back. We'll be back in a, next week with um, a new take, a new look, maybe a new guest. Um, looking at 2022 until then thank you all very much for listening we appreciate your viewership your listenership your readingship whatever it is you're doing to support royals review royals farm report continue to do so we appreciate you we'll talk to you next week